Father, it's a sweet thing to be among your people this morning and to, to sing true things, to be among those who believe these things, who, who know them to be true. It's a sweet thing to call you Father. It's a sweet thing to be recipients of such magnificent promises and to have had the work of Christ applied to us. It's a sweet thing now to open your word and to be recipients of the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand the word. And we pray that he would do that, that your Holy Spirit would grant us to understand the things that we're about to study together. And more importantly, that as we understand them, we pray that he would help us to love what we're about to read and that we would love applying these things. We're about to see things, Father, as you know, that we find difficult to apply. We pray, Lord, that as we, as we see these things that are difficult to apply, that we would just run to you and recognize our, our need for your help. Not only in understanding and loving these things, but in doing them. And that we would do them for your glory and for, for our good and for the good of one another. And so that Christ's name might be praised in all the earth. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. For a few weeks now, we've been working our way through chapters 18 through 20 in a larger enterprise to work our way through the whole book of Leviticus. And this morning, we are finishing this middle section here of chapters 18 through 20. And I'd like to begin by just standing together and reading a few verses, just three verses. So as you're finding your place in Leviticus 19, please stand with me. We're going to read the first couple of verses and then I'll, I'll tell you to skip down to, a, to another verse. So we're going to read three verses total as we begin. Leviticus chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now let's skip down to verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You may be seated. Love your neighbor as yourself. I wonder, I wonder how many of us have struggled to love someone well this week. I, I'm guessing that probably all of us in, in some way have, have struggled to love someone well. We all know that we should. It's, it's one of these intuitive things. You know, Romans chapter 2 tells us that, that even the heathen, even the pagan knows because of the, the conscience that God has put inside of us, even he knows the law of God 
and even the Hollywood celebrities are fond of reminding one another, we, we all just need to love one another. So we know this, right? The problem is that as a rule, we stink at it. And th- I mean, throughout history, we've been bad at it. We might want to know why, right? Why are we so bad at this? Many suggest that it's because we suffer from a deficit of self-love. We don't love our, ourselves enough. And some, even in the professing church, have, have found a warrant for that idea in the last verse that we just read, verse 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so they would suggest that you, you have to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. Now, if that is true, man, that, that is great news for me because I adore me. And I always have. And so I should be in in an excellent position to love others well. Unfortunately, what I've found over the years is that my self-love has been a complicating factor, to say the least, in my attempts to love others well. And actually, that makes perfect sense because if we pay attention to the grammar of the Scriptures, and the theology of the Bible, we find that when God writes what He writes in Leviticus 19.18 and elsewhere in the Scriptures, God does not advocate self-love, but rather He assumes it as our fallen norm. So when God says, love your neighbor as yourself, He's saying, as much as you already love yourself, love other people. Love, love is not a formula. Love of self, I'm sorry, is not a formula for how to love others well, it is a measure for how much to love others. And so that means love others a lot because I'm not unique. I mean, you adore you. And just a few moments of self-reflection would, would bear that out. The secular psychological machine, of course, has been working for the better part of, of two centuries to convince us otherwise. Don't listen. Rather, read the Bible. Read the Bible's manifold condemnations of pride and how it depicts over and over how self-centeredness motivates virtually every heartache recorded in the Scriptures. To tell any human being that they need to love themselves more is like telling someone dying of thirst that they need to drink seawater. So this morning, we'll address why it is that we are so bad at loving one another, we're also going to address what it actually means to love one another because we actually don't all have the same idea. And, and as, as I've already mentioned, even in Hollywood, they, they believe, yes, we should love one another, but their idea of that is not at all what God's idea is. And so we should, we should adopt God's idea of what it means to love other people. And we'll also consider... Is our almost universal inability to love others well, is this irreparable? The good news is that it's not. Again, we've been looking at chapters 18 through 20, and these these three chapters represent a tight section of laws calling God's people to reflect faithfulness to their covenant to Him. And we looked first at those outside two chapters, chapters 18 and 20, which major on reflecting the practices of the nation or 
or, or rather rejecting the practices of the nation. And that inside chapter, chapter 19, majors on calling the people to be holy as God is holy. Last week we saw that chapter 19 is undergirded by two principles that, that found every law in the chapter. And the first of those principles was that God loves to be revered. God loves to be revered. So last week we looked at, at several of the laws in chapter 19 and saw how, how God's love for Himself to be revered undergirds many of those laws. The second principle undergirding many of these laws is going to be a major focus for us this morning, our main focus actually, and that is that God loves for His people to love their neighbor. God loves for His people to love their neighbor. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, which is the great commandment in the law? And that's a a huge question because there's a lot of laws. We've, we've looked at a bunch of them here in the book of Leviticus. But Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6 when He answers that question and, and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then He, he adds a bonus. He says, A second is like it. And Jesus quotes what we've just read, Leviticus 19.18. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The way that you love yourself, or in the measure that you love yourself, love your neighbor. The way that you love you, and that, that is seeking your own highest good, love others that way. Do that for your neighbor. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Seek your neighbor's highest possible good with the same intensity that you already seek your own highest good. God loves for His people to do that. And many of the laws in this section are just ways of doing that. For example, let's look at the couple of verses in which that idea is found. So we've already read verse 18. We're going to back up to verse 17 and, and read both of them, 17 and 18. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, verse 17 is encouraging a balanced, loving approach to your neighbor in his sin. Now, this is countercultural here in America. And what the Lord is saying is look, when, you, when your neighbor is in sin, don't hate him in your heart. At the same time, don't be silent about it. Because if you're silent about it, his sin may end up affecting you. You may adopt His ways. And that second clause could be more literally translated, you shall surely rebuke Him. It's not loving to leave someone's sin unaddressed. When your brother is in sin, don't hate him. Help him. Don't be silent about it. Help him in his sin. And do so out of love, not, not vengeance, but, uh, but kindly, not bearing a grudge. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that idea... Of, of helping your neighbor in his sin, not hating him in his sin. It's reiterated, reiterated numerous times in the New Testament as we're called to lovingly confront sin, even to the point of removing someone from the church. It's for their good. We find this in Matthew 18, verses 15 through 18 and 1 Corinthians 5. Another way that th this chapter shows us how we might love our neighbor as, as ourself is caring for the needy. So back up to verse 9, Leviticus 19.9. 9. 
The Lord says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. But you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. In other words, leave some of your produce for the needy. Don't don't consume absolutely everything that is yours. Very similar. We could skip all the way down to verse 33. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I wonder, just by show of hands, how many of us have, have ever gone to a foreign country? Would you raise your hand if you've been to a foreign country? So, so not, not all of us, right? Some of us have never been to a foreign country. If you've never been a stranger in a foreign land, there, there is a striking sense of vulnerability in that. Even if there's not a language barrier, there certainly is if there's a language barrier, but even if there's not a language barrier, there's a culture barrier. You you just don't know how things work in that land, and and you don't have your own resources that you have at home. You're just very susceptible to the natives of that country taking advantage of you. And so the Lord, Lord is saying here, look, don't you be the kind of person that takes advantage of the stranger in your land. And look at how the Lord wants the people to think about this. He says, remember that you were in this situation, Israel. Remember that you were in Egypt? Treat the foreigner the way that you wanted to be treated when you were in Egypt. Love them as you love yourself. Now we could travel over to the New Testament, as in 1 Peter, and find that we, as believers... We are foreigners by virtue of the fact that we exist on this planet. This earth is not our home. What is our home? The gospel would have us to believe that that we we are citizens of the new heaven and new earth under the visible reign of the coming King Jesus. And we ought not then be surprised if we are mistreated in this world for that reason because we are constantly strangers in a foreign land. At the same time, because we understand that, we of all people should be kind to the foreigner, aren't we not? Since we are the consummate foreigners on this planet, it seems to me that political conservatives, many of whom are professing believers, are not very good at this. And, And I suggest that if we're going to be biblical in our thinking and living, When we encounter somebody who's obviously not from around here, we should put out of our minds how or why they are here since we don't know, and we should instead default to treating them with the kindness of Christ. Why? Because we of all people are foreigners in a strange land. Another way of loving our neighbor, championing justice, truth, and life. Championing justice, truth, and life. Let's look at verse nine, or chapter 19, verse 15. The Lord says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. 
I am the Lord. According to these verses, what, what, what would injustice represent? Well, we could say according to the text, injustice would be judging someone according to their, their class or their outward status. So, so most obviously, uh, it, it, it might mean if you're poor, we assume you're guilty. But if you're rich, we assume that you are innocent. Or what, what we might find happening in our culture frequently, if you're black, you're a thug. If you're white, you're a racist. The, the Scriptures would say, no to all of that. No to all of that. Biblical justice is rendering to each person according to their deeds. Rendering to each person according to deeds. That, that's quite literally biblical justice. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in his body, whether good or evil. The final judgment. When King Jesus comes as the judge. How will He judge? He's going, to, he's going to render to everyone according to their deeds. And that's essentially what Leviticus 19 is advocating. Rendering to everyone according to their deeds. Don't judge people based upon outward class, but based upon what they've done. Champion justice. He, also, he says also here, champion truth. Specifically, don't slander. The New Testament also indicates that to love one another is to be truthful in terms of how we speak about one another. By definition, there, 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 there should be no slander. That is no lying about a person's reputation. We find that in Ephesians 4.31 and Colossians 3.8. Love your neighbor by speaking truthfully about him or her. Champion justice, champion truth, champion life, these verses tell us. So, the text says don't stand up against the life of your neighbor. That, that, that includes a a myriad of things, no murder, no manslaughter, no reckless homicide, certainly no abortion. Doesn't doesn't all of these things just follow if we're loving others as we love ourselves? I mean, I want justice. I want to be represented fairly. I don't want to be murdered, so I should treat others the same way. And we find all of these things reiterated in the New Testament. God loves for His people to love their neighbor. Now, why is that? Why does God love that? Well, remember that Jesus linked this idea of loving neighbor with the command to love God. He said the first and greatest command is to love God, and the second is like it. In what way? In what way is loving people like loving God? Now, it could be that... The two commands are alike in that the rest of all the law of Moses hangs on those two laws, or all of the law of Moses is based upon those two laws. In other words, every other law is an example of how to love God and, and love man. And, and certainly those, those two greatest laws, certainly they are alike in those ways. But there's a deeper connection between these two laws, loving God and loving man. There's a deeper connection. Do you remember why in Genesis chapter 9, God instituted the death penalty for murder? Do you remember why? Why is killing a human being such a big deal? You know, God actually invites us to kill animals and eat them. But not killing a human. 
you, if, you, if you kill a human, you murder a human, then you pay with your own life. Why is that? Do you remember? Because humans are made in the image of God. To kill a human is to desecrate the image of God in man. Conversely, to love a human is to value the image of God in man. Pastor John told me a story once. He, he's just in the habit of, of greeting strangers in public. Hi, how are you? And once he was, he was with someone else in, in a public place, just greeting strangers, and his companion said, hey, do, you, do you know this guy? Do you know that person that just walked by? And Pastor John said, no, they're just made in the image of God. Pastor John loves God, and so he treats those made in his image with kindness because, because that's the connection. That's the biblical connection. We love people because they're made in the image of God. Loving God and loving man, they're similar in that loving man is loving God's image bearer. And that's why we find in many of the laws here in Leviticus 19 that God loves for His people to love neighbor out of reverence for Him. It's the second point in your notes if you have the notes in front of you. God loves for His people to love neighbor out of reverence for Him. There are a number of places here where we saw last week where laws are explicitly undergirded by reverence for God. Out of, out of awe for God, this deep abiding respect for Him, people should obey these things. Some of these laws, we find God telling us to treat people a certain way out of respect for Him, showing that there is this connection between loving God and loving people. And we can find these laws are able to be kind of grouped together. So, so for example, broadly speaking, respect for authority in man reflects authority for God. Respect for authority in man reflects respect for authority in God. So look at 19.3. Let's go back up toward the top. Leviticus 19.3. Every one of you shall revere his, his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Revere your mother and father, and keep my, my Sabbaths. Those two laws together, we might think, well, that's an odd pairing. They don't seem to have anything to do with one another. I would say that those are put together to show us this very connection that there is a connection between loving man and loving God. We'll, we'll see this borne out here in just a minute, so bear with me. Jump down, though, to chapter 20, verse 9. Chapter 20, verse 9. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. Now, some especially in the broader culture, think that, that the Old Testament of the Bible is, is absolutely draconian in its meeting out of, of capital punishment. There are actually relatively few things that you could be put to death for in the Old Testament. But consider that one of the few things that a person could be put to death for under the Old Covenant is cursing one's parents. That is put alongside things like 
murder, adultery, kidnapping, and rape, cursing one's parents. Now listen, I, I, I say this, this, this next piece with, with great care. You young people who are in the habit of speaking disrespectfully to your parents, you should get down on your knees and do two things. First of all, praise God that you don't live under the old covenant because you would have earned, earned a death sentence otherwise. And second, repent of your godlessness. And I, and I, mean, I mean godlessness because your disrespect of your parents is disrespect of God. Seek His forgiveness and seek your parents' forgiveness. Now, why, why is this such a big deal? Well, we've already noted that man is made in the image of God, but also Romans 13 teaches that all authority is from God. Parental authority is the first and most immediate expression of God's authority in a person's life, and to utterly disrespect it is to disrespect Him. Now, some may say, well, I'm not under the old covenant, I'm, I'm under the new covenant, so I, I really don't need to worry about that. Well, the New Testament authors actually, actually reach back to that truth. And they see that actually God loves for His people to respect their parents and love their parents. And they, they pull that over in the New Testament. An example of this is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1-3, through 3, where Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. If you're a New Testament believer, young person, absolutely. If you're following Christ, you are to obey your parents. You are to honor them. Now, I would speak to the parents as well. You parents who tolerate your children disrespecting you. You, you may think that you're being patient and humble. You need to repent of your disrespect for God. Because by tolerating your child's disrespect of you, you are disrespecting God's authority. Don't allow your child to disrespect you and therefore disrespect God. In a similar vein, we come down to verse 32. This is Leviticus 19.32. Leviticus 19.32. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. And you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Respect that gray hair. Stand up before the face of the old man. We find that same spirit in the New Testament in, in, in a passage like 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 and 2. Listen to this. Paul writes this, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, when the Lord says here, Stand up before the gray head and honor the face of the old man, he means more than to assume a physical posture in their presence. Rather, this is, this is a metaphor for a life attitude toward those who are more mature than you, older than you. And, and I'd, I'd encourage, let's all just look around the room for a second. Look, look at the gray hair. And some don't have any hair where there should be gray hair. And so let's, let's notice that too. Not, not, this, that's not to put any of you down. Some of you earned that lack of hair. Where there's no hair, where there's gray hair, and, and where some of these people move a little bit slower, that's because they've got some life on them. 
And with that life has come experience and wisdom. And so the Spirit of God would say to us, defer to them and be quiet and listen when they speak. Never interrupt them. Let them go first. Assume they know more than you because they do. And look at how the Lord frames this in verse 32, in Leviticus 19.32. Honor this elderly person, and in the same sentence He says, and you shall fear your God. Another way of understanding this is, honor the elderly person, and so fear your God. To, to revere that elderly person, to revere that mature person, is to value authority and wisdom, which ulti- ultimately comes only from God. And, and, and this too, highly countercultural, highly countercultural. Just, just consider with me for a minute the demographic of the typical influencer in our, in our culture. I would suggest to you that, that those with the, the gray hair and the no hair, they should be our influencers. Respect for authority in man reflects reverence for God. God loves for us. He loves for us to respect authority in man. Because it reflects respect for Him. At the same time, God loves for His people to care for their children out of reverence for Him. He loves for His people to to care for their children out of reverence for Him. So now let's look at verse 29. Leviticus 19, verse 29. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Now, what is this all about? Well, in the culture, occasionally people would incur debt, and a way to resolve that debt was to sell a daughter into sexual slavery. Now, just as there is the sin of dishonoring one's parents, so also there's a sin of dishonoring one's children. And that's what it means to profane, to to dishonor, to make unholy. And it is a sin that propagates itself. That's why he says, lest the land fall into prostitution and become full of depravity. Now, interesting, you may have have noticed here as, as we read those two verses, this command to care for one's children is coupled with a command to keep the Sabbaths and reverence the sanctuary just like the command in verse 3 to revere one's father and mother also was, command, was connected with a command to keep the Sabbaths. Do you see what, what it looks like the Lord is doing here? Reverence for the Sabbath is connected both to honoring one's parents and to caring for one's children. And that's not the only similarity. Remember there was a death penalty attached to dishonoring or cursing one's parents. Jump down to chapter 20 again, chapter 20 beginning in verse 1. Chapter 20, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. 
And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him, in whoring after Molech. So here also there's a death penalty levied against the man who sacrifices his children to false gods. Striking parallel to the, to the death penalty levied against the child who curses the parents. It seems that love for parents and love for children, but they, they both are a premier expression of reverence for God. So if, if you have someone who curses parents or endangers their children, uses their children for their own benefit in whatever way, in either one of the, those cases, you have a God-hater. And, and here also we have the New Testament expressing the importance of parents, especially fathers, caring appropriately for their children. Ephesians 6 verse 4 reads, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's reiterated in Colossians 3.21. We find Romans chapter 1, toward the end of the chapter, both, both uh, verses 31, 30 and 31, addressing parents and children, okay? It indicates that disobedience to parents and the absence of normal parental love, both of those are signs of the depraved mind. They are both signs of a God-hating mind. Now, how many, how many ways... Might, might parents endanger their children? You know, it, do, it doesn't have to be as extreme as, as prostituting them or, 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 or burning them as a, false, as a sacrifice to a false god, as in Leviticus 19 and 20. It could be, according to Ephesians chapter 6, it could be just depriving them of gospel instruction. It could be neglecting them, making no time for them refusing to listen to them. It, it could be giving them whatever they want. It could be refusing to discipline them. It could be over-disciplining them, using their lives to make a name for yourself. It could be any number of ways. God loves for His people to care for their children out of reverence for Him. Now, this connection between loving man and loving or revering God, it's not exclusive to, to parent-child relationships and, and authority relationships. Look, look down at, at verse 11, chapter 19, verse 11. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Do you see how the Lord connects lying against or exploiting anyone with? He connects any of that with profaning and dishonoring Him. See, see this is all more of the same. To fail to love a person is to fail to love God. Now, at, at this point, we, we've, looked at, we've looked at every verse in the section except verses 
20 through 25. You can just scan through 20 through 25. For the sake of time, for the sake of time, Lord willing, I'm going to deal with those six verses on the blog this week, Lord willing, okay? Now, as we, as we think about the storyline of Scripture, particularly the storyline in the Old Testament, we, we find that the, the Israelites, they were, they were awful at all of this. In, in fact, if, if you read the prophets, warning about the impending judgment of the exile, it, it's almost like they take their list of charges directly from Leviticus 19. The Israelites oppress the weak. They take advantage of the poor. They offer their children to idols. They don't respect authority of any kind. In short... They do not love their neighbor as they love themselves. Why are they so bad at this? Why is everyone so bad at this? It all goes back to Genesis chapter 3 when the very first man and woman rejected God. It brings us back to this connection between loving man and loving God. Man rejected God, raised himself above God, and so we're fantastic at loving ourselves. We are horrible at loving God and loving those made in His image. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, and that sin moves us to seek our own highest good at the expense of everyone else's highest good. Now, we come to the New Testament then, and we find most of these laws reiterated. And we definitely find the undergirding principles reiterated. Love others as yourself and love and revere God with all that you are. And if we go straight to those principles in the New Testament, we, we, we may be demoralized because how are we going to do any better at obeying these things than the Israelites do? How, how is this going to work out any better for us? Well, I, I will address that but we need to talk about a little bit more bad news because we are, we are like the Israelites in more than just that we are terrible at loving God and loving one another. All our failures to love our neighbor and to revere God, they stand against us as charges on judgment day, that they doom us to hell eternally. I already mentioned earlier this morning, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That is bad news for habitual man and God haters. But the good news is that the Jesus who will do the judging on the last day he is also a Savior. And God sent Him not only to show us what love is, but to love perfectly in our stead. Earning the perfect re record that we couldn't. And God sent Him to die on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. And three days later, God raised Him from the dead so that all who repent of their sin and who trust in Christ they are credited with His record of righteous love. They are forgiven of their record of failures. 
and they are given eternal life in Him. So then, what of these New Testament commands that, that require us to love others as self and to love and revere God? I mean, it's, it is great news, isn't it, that we can be forgiven of, of all of our failures to love God and love, love one another, but how will we be any better equipped to do what the Israelites couldn't, even if we can be forgiven of failing? How will we obey? Are we better equipped than the Old Testament Israelites? And the answer is certainly we are. If you're taking notes, write down Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Titus 3, 3 through 7. That passage reads this way. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's some key words that Paul writes there to Titus in that third chapter. Those who are saved are regenerated. That is, we are no longer dead in our trespasses and sins, but we're alive in Christ. Further, we have the Holy Spirit of Christ dwelling inside of us so that we were slaves to our various passions and sins. We were hated by others and, and, and hating one another, but no more. No more. And that is why Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Only those who follow Jesus in faith have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and can love one another. That's why love for one another is a sign that someone has followed Jesus. Because they can do it. And, and so it is imperative, therefore, that we major on loving one another as a testimony to the authenticity of our own faith and the authenticity of the gospel. Further, by our own love, we are saying the gospel is true and I have believed it. In Christ is the transformation to love. In His Spirit is the power to love. A great place to grow in your motivation to love is to spend time reading about and meditating on the love of Christ, particularly in the Gospels. I commend to you the regular practice of spending time in the, in the four Gospels, just, just thinking about looking at how Jesus loved people and how that was a reflection of and outworking of His love for the Father. Jesus is not one to separate those two things. It's like He loved the Father on, on Monday through Thursday, and then the, the, the other days of the week, he's, he's loving people. No, he's, He is loving people because He loves the Father. Just think about, go, go to John chapter 4. And Jesus is, is pouring Himself out on that woman at the well on an empty stomach, 
And he explains to his disciples why he does it. He says, because my food is to do the work of him who called me. Right? He loves the Father. And so he loves people. And there's just example after example after example of that. And when you see that, and then you insert yourself into that, and you see your own lives in, in your own life in that terms, you think, well, Jesus has loved me that way. You, you begin to adore the love of Christ. You want to emulate it. And it becomes the desire of your heart. Holy Spirit, do that in me. Let me do that with Jesus as He's doing it for other people. Let me be an instrument as He's loving people. Let me do it alongside Him. Look to Jesus. Look to the Holy Spirit as the power to do it. Now likely in this message there's been plenty to have pricked our consciences. And so as this is our custom, I'm going to pray and we're going to then spend a few moments in silent reflection. I encourage you. Call on the Holy Spirit to bring to your mind where, where, where are the ways in which I have failed to love others well? Help me to think through these things. And, and Holy Spirit, what would you have me to do to correct that through your power and in accord with your word? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we, that we are not partakers of the old covenant, but that we're partakers of the new covenant, and that there are numerous things that are gloriously true because of that. First of all, that Jesus has fulfilled the law on our behalf, and that we are therefore no longer under wrath because of our own failure, but rather we are the glorious recipients of Christ's perfect record of righteousness. We thank you for that, and we thank you that He paid the penalty for our failures on the cross and that we have no sin to answer for. We thank you for that. We thank you also that the Lord Jesus has, has put in front of us this, this perfect example of what it means to love others. We thank you that He has sent His Holy Spirit to live inside of us and empower us to follow in His footsteps. And we, we pray, Father, that we would do that. And that even as we are not members of the Old Covenant, we have we have this, this great, massive book of examples of, of, of what you love. Even here in Leviticus, showing us what it is that you love for us to do. How we can love one another. We pray, Father, that in the power of the Spirit and with the mind of Christ, we would see our interactions with others framed in these ways. We would love others as we love ourselves. We would do so for your glory. We would do so for our good and the good of others. That We would do so for your fame and for the spread of the gospel. We pray all this in Jesus' name.